Hello, I am Kevin Smith, and you have found the Terminator Training Show, your one-stop shop for no BS training, nutrition, and health information. For more, please go to TerminatorTraining.com. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Terminator Training Show. I'm Kevin Smith. Today's episode is going to be a single topic episode. Been a little while since I've done one of these, but I did a Instagram question kind of suggestion thing last week to see what you guys kind of wanted to learn about and got some really good responses. And one of them happened to be building a running base. And I chose this one first because I get tons and tons of questions about building a base. So I am going to break it down in this episode. Now, just before we hop in, this is going to be geared towards building a base in an effort to get prepared to start trading for selection. Or, you know, maybe if you are trying to improve your five miler or your two and your five miler, if you're, you know, in the military, or even if you're not even in the military and you potentially want to run a race, 5K, 10K, whatever that may be, not necessarily marathon, half marathon, the volume just won't be high enough for the actual base example that I'm going to give you towards the end of the episode. But ideally, you have a running coach or a coach that knows about programming running that can give you a very individualized plan. But I'm not going to make an episode based on all these little tiny nuances and individual variances because there are lots of individual variances when it comes to improvement in running. So it's just going to be based on like the average person who is doesn't really have much of a base, maybe has a little bit of, does a little bit of conditioning, but not a lot of running, or maybe you've tried to do a running plan in the past and you end up injured or frustrated or quitting. That's going to be kind of the target audience. Generally, if you're a really advanced runner, you probably don't need me to explain to you how to build a base. So I'm not going to talk about a lot of like advanced techniques. It's going to be very, very simple. And I like to generally, I, I know my audience and it's mostly type A individuals that just want to skip this base building plan. So it's kind of going to be kind of an expedited base. And I always say you can't expedite aerobic adaptations, which you can't, but I just know who I'm talking to. And I know that a lot of people will completely skip the base phase. And I'm going to get into some of the things that can happen when you do that. But at minimum, I'm going to provide a, a bunch of suggestions for doing at least enough to mitigate your risk of either just overdoing it or getting injured or getting frustrated and stopping or just running into certain obstacles that a lot of people run into when they are building their base. If you want to see the things that I'm going to talk about throughout this episode, you can check the show notes. I have a few different topics I'm going to discuss all regarding base building, and th those are all in the show notes, so you can look at those if you want to skip around, but the way I have it set up is intentional, and the, the flow of it is set up in a way that should provide you a good understanding and a good starting point blueprint to make sure that you don't make very common mistakes on building your base. So before I hop in, if you don't mind, I do have a good amount compared to how many people listen to this episode. I have a, quite a few ratings, five-star ratings on Spotify, which I greatly appreciate if you have done one of them. If you have not, I would really appreciate if you could take 10 seconds of your time, either right now or at the end of the episode, to pop in a review. If you listen on Apple Podcasts and you have 
60 to 90 seconds now or at the end of the episode. And if you like what I'm doing, I would also greatly appreciate a written review or at least just give it however many stars you think it deserves. Reviews and ratings definitely help me reach more people. And if you think there are other people out there that could benefit from listening to my show, either let them know about it or just give it a rating and it'll hopefully reach more people. So let's hop into the show. So building a running base, what is it? It is generally speaking a gradual increase in running volume prior to starting your in this case, selection prep or selection training, or if you're not a selection candidate, maybe you want to improve your five mile time or your two mile time, or maybe both. So instead of just hopping into a bunch of speed work, you gradually increase your slow running volume in order to basically change your body in a way that is going to prepare you to do more speed work and ultimately be faster, be better at running and hopefully avoid injury. So it's a lot of slow, boring, monotonous running. And that is the main reason why a lot of people skip it because it's not exciting. You don't see like crazy, crazy improvements every single week and takes more discipline to actually stick to it and run slow when you're supposed to run slow than it does to go harder, which is kind of this like paradoxical thing about running. It's usually easier to mostly because people are upset about their pace. Um, and about how slow that they're going, it is a lot easier to just say, fuck it, I'm going to run faster because I can't look at my watch and see that I'm running a 12 minute mile, even though that is probably what you should be doing. So how long it should be, ideally you want to give it at least six weeks, but I understand some people, you know, are, like I said, type A, they want to get into the speed work. So at minimum four weeks, but I would recommend six weeks, eight weeks, even better. If you are a non-natural runner, or if you don't have any history really of, of real running, then you want to do this for a lot longer. Or if you're like a big, strong, highly fast twitch individual, you want to do it for a lot longer as well. Several months would be ideal. So that's basically what it is. Um, and I'm going to get into here why it's important and because a lot of people, they hear, okay, yeah, I need to build a base, but it definitely can help to actually learn why you need to build a base instead of just like, okay, got it. I need to build a base. So I'm not going to get into like the very nitty gritty science, but I'll talk about some of the big things that happen when you properly implement base building. So one is your time on your feet. Spending time on your feet is huge. Ideally, you are somebody who does a little bit of walking at least before you start your build, uh, base building phase. So, you know, if you're averaging 12,000 steps per day, 15,000 steps per day, once you start doing some running, it's going to be a lot easier for you because your, your joints, your connective tissue, your soft tissue is more used to spending time on your feet, actually moving. If you average two, 3000 steps per day and you hop into a running base building phase, it could be a rough time for you. But this is where specificity comes in because a lot of people will build their aerobic base doing non impact stuff, which is totally fine. And if you don't have any future running goals and you just want to get healthier and improve your heart health, which, you know, doing a lot of zone two obviously does, then you absolutely don't need to do it running. You can build a great aerobic system on a bike, swimming on an elliptical, on a skier, on a rower, whatever it may be. But for a running specific base, one of the main considerations that you have to make is actually running, spending time on your feet, 
because it takes a while for your joints, your connective tissue to adapt to the impact of running. Even if you have great running form, it's still a very high impact activity. And if you're doing this with a future goal of doing a lot of rucking in preparation for selection, you definitely need to get used to spending time on your feet and you need to improve the durability of your knees, your feet, your shins, your hips, and basically everything in between. So durability, a lot of people will do like durability training, which is, I mean, not pointless. You absolutely can do certain exercises that will strengthen your your joints, your soft tissue, the, the areas around that. But the best way to build durability is to do the specific thing in a slow, controlled manner where you progress over time. You actually want to do that thing. And that's what's going to build the best durability hands down. There's no real shortcuts to that. So the next major benefit obviously is an efficient aerobic system. Aerobic meaning you are able to fuel your work with oxygen rather than anaerobic, which is a little bit further down the road. That's when you start doing speed work. We want to improve the efficiency of our aerobic system. And what does that mean? Well, it means lots of different things. So when you are doing consistent, slow running, and progressing over time. If you're a newer runner and you aren't very experienced at all, you are actually gonna be able to build your VO2 max during this period of time. Generally, more speed work style running, you know, two to six to eight minute interval style training is what's gonna really build your VO2 max. There's a big genetic component to VO2 max as well. However, when you're new to running, even doing a really long, slow distance training is going to improve your VO2 max. It's also going to improve your running economy. Even if you are more of an experienced runner, another major benefit is increased red blood cells. So red blood cells carry oxygen to muscles throughout the body. And in combination with the next one, increased stroke volume. So stroke volume is basically how much blood your heart pumps per beat. So if you have more red blood cells and therefore more oxygen in your blood, and you are pumping more blood per beat, you're going to get more oxygen to your muscles and your muscles are obviously needing to work in order to propel you forward on your runs. So what this also does is, you know, when you start doing a lot of aerobic base building and you spend enough time doing it because you're pumping more blood per beat, your heart rate is not going to increase, but you are going to be able to go faster over time. You know, you're not going to cut a minute off of your zone two pace week to week, but over time, basically, at the same effort, at a faster speed, you're gonna have a lower heart rate. So for example, when you first start out, maybe you're running, and I'm gonna get into why pacing isn't all that important here in a bit, but say for example, you're kinda of new to this, you don't really have a great aerobic base. When you first start out, maybe you're running a 13 minute mile, or you, you know, you're probably gonna have to walk some of your walk runs when you first start out in order to stay in zone two. But over time, that pace starts getting a little bit faster despite not putting any more effort and your heart rate's not going to increase either because it's just pumping more blood per stroke. So, you know, for example, a professional runner maybe can run at zone two at a 615 mile. Obviously, we're not going to get there. I'm not talking to elite runners here, but that's kind of what I mean by increased stroke volume and its effects on heart rate. Also, it's probably going to lower your resting heart rate and low resting heart rates is associated with better fitness and also better health. So all those adaptations are what we want. It's also going to 
increase your capillary density. You're going to be able to bring more oxygen to the working muscle and that will increase their ability to continue to do work. The next one is a lot of people will say, yeah, mitochondria. Yeah. Zone two mitochondria. So mitochondria is basically, if you think back to like middle school, maybe it is the energy powerhouse of the cell, but a lot of good things happen to the mitochondria when you do a lot of base building zone two base building. So their density increases. So there, there are more of them. They increase in size and they also move closer to the cell walls, which allows more oxygen to go from outside the cell, inside the cell. And therefore you are going to be able to get more oxygen into the energy powerhouse of the cell, which you can probably imply means you're gonna have more energy for endurance style training. Another often overlooked one is running technique. Doing lots of slow running will help you dial in your technique. It'll allow you to focus on running better, running more efficiently. A lot of people have absolutely crazy technique when they run. It's because the main reason is because unless you have just started running as a kid and never stopped, you have probably lost the skill of running. If you've ever taken extended periods of time off, or if you just never really got into running at all, and you don't treat running as a skill, you're going to pay for it because there are lots of different ways to self-sabotage your running ability. And if you don't take this time to really think about running properly, I'm not going to get into all the different ways to run, but you know, if you're smashing the ground with your heels, if you're really, really bouncy, if you are, if your upper body is all crazy, if you're very tense in the upper body or you're leaning way back, you're just taking really long strides. It's just not a great efficient way to run and it will slow you down and it'll make you, it'll require you to put more energy into the run despite not going any faster. So running technique, using this time to really think about your technique, probably watch some videos or go to a running store, get your technique analyzed. Maybe they can give you some drills to do, or you can just go on YouTube and watch some running technique explanation videos where you can find some drills. You can also film yourself on a treadmill from the side and from the rear and see where your breakdowns are. You may not be able to identify them, but you know, if you have some sort of coach that can, it can be a good idea to at least identify what you are, where your breakdowns are, where your technique leaks are. And then you can then form a plan to either be more mindful of them. If you're relatively athletic, if you have a history of, you know, playing sports that include body awareness and proprioception, a lot of times you can just be more aware of your running technique breakdowns and really work on them, or you can do certain drills that will improve it. Another very big benefit of this base building phase is glycogen sparing. Glycogen is basically stored energy in your muscles that you get from consuming carbohydrates. And glycogen is very important for higher intensity running. But if you improve your glycogen sparing, it allows you to use fat for fuel for longer. So using fat for fuel doesn't necessarily mean you're going to just lose a bunch of fat, mainly talking about performance here. So let's not think like, oh, this is going to allow me to lose a bunch of fat. Not necessarily. But if you have better ability to use fat for fuel for longer, you're basically going to delay the time before you actually start tapping into glycogen once you start doing speed work down the road. And additionally, fat is, although it's not a very readily available fuel source, it's not a very efficient fuel source in regards to how quickly you can start using it. Basically, it's not your body's ideal fuel source for higher intensity activities. If you are better able to use fat for fuel, 
you'll be able to run for longer. And in the future, you'll be able to delay how long your body actually takes to tap into glycogen because glycogen is finite. It's not going to last forever, but doing these really long, slow, boring runs will improve your body's ability to spare glycogen and use fat for fuel, which is basically think of it as just being more fuel efficient. You burn the really long lasting, but not necessarily great for high intensity stuff, fuel, AKA fat for as long as possible. And then once you have to switch over to a more short duration fuel glycogen, just getting your body really efficient at using multiple different fuel sources is a very underrated, but also a very real part of doing this zone two uh, aerobic base building plan. So additionally, this is very important for faster twitched individuals. You know, if you're a former sprinter or if you're a former football player and you're just easily gain muscle, you're strong, you're powerful, you are quick, you're fast at sprinting, but you struggle with running, you probably have a lot of fast twitch muscle fibers. And towards the end of these long runs, you know, as you, especially later, as you start really upping the mileage, or I'm going to get into this, the duration of your training, your fast twitch muscle, basically your slow twitch muscle fibers are going to fatigue towards the end of these long runs. And you're actually going to start recruiting your fast twitch muscle fibers in order to continue propelling you forward. So getting your fast twitch muscle fibers better at doing slow twitch activities, if you want to think of it that way, uh, is very important, especially if you, like I said, are very fast twitch dominant, but that is another main benefit of zone two training and, and base building. And finally, recovery. If you have a very efficient aerobic system, you are going to be able to recover better from all training, whether it's lifting, whether it's speed work, whether it's these long runs, it's going to improve your ability to recover down the road. So once you start getting into your selection train up, obviously recovery is super important. Once you get to selection, recovery is really important. The conditions at selection, the sleep, the food are not ideal for recovery. But if you have a very efficient aerobic system, you're going to be able to recover. Recovery is an aerobic process, not only between training sessions overall, but also between sets. And it'll allow you to do more work. And if you can do and recover for more from more work, that is increased work capacity. All of these are really good things to have, especially when you get to that third week of selection and you're just smoked, or, you know, if you're doing a run training plan buildup and you want to be able to run more and run faster and run harder and recover from it and not just run yourself into the ground, then obviously recovery is, is pretty important. So those are the main important things that happen over time when you build your aerobic base. Hopefully that gives you a good understanding of what I mean by yes, building a base is important because all of those things happen in your body over time. All of those things in the future will make you better at what you're trying to do. All right. So let's get into what most people do when they go into, if they go into a base at all. So one of the common mistakes is completely skipping this and, and jumping straight into speed work, intervals, fartlicks, stuff like that. But let's assume that you are biting the bullet and you're deciding, okay, I'm going to do this base building thing. Most people will do too much too soon. Like I said, it requires a lot of discipline to do it right. It's not very exciting. You're not going to see these crazy, crazy improvements each week. It's going to feel really easy. It's going to feel like you're wasting time. One of the biggest downsides of this is that it takes a lot of time. You have to run for a long duration in order to do your long runs and it's time consuming and it's a little bit 
monotonous. However, there does come a point for most people, if you stick to it long enough, where you actually start looking forward to training. You start looking forward to running and you start enjoying it. Whether you put an audiobook in, whether you listen to a podcast, whether you listen to music, or generally speaking, I recommend this, especially towards the end of the base building plan and going into an actual selection prep, you don't use any music because you're not going to get any music at selection, newsflash. So not listening to anything, this is kind of a tangent, but not listening to anything will allow you to be more mindful of what's going on in your body, more mindful of your technique, more mindful of how your body feels. And also another added benefit to this, at least for me and for a lot of people, is that you think of good ideas. Usually when you're moving, there have been plenty of studies to prove this, that movement will allow your kind of your brain, your creativity centers in your brain to actually activate. And I personally come up with a lot of my ideas when I am doing long, slow distance running. So again, kind of a tangent, but back to what most people do, they do too much too soon, really put simply. But what does that mean? Well, too much can mean they go too fast, too soon. They either start with too high of a mileage or duration per week, or they increase by too much each week. And I'm going to talk about specifics on how to avoid that a little bit later on in the episode. But the biggest mistake is just doing too much too soon. And the common reasons for this, one, already mentioned, takes a long time. You definitely have to be patient. You have to be disciplined and you have to make time for this in your schedule. Another reason, too easy. A lot of people think zone two is too easy. If it feels easy, you're doing it right. But like I said, it does take more discipline to stay in zone two and stay at this low, easy, slow pace for a longer period of time. And I keep mentioning zone two for those who don't know. Zone two is part of a five zone heart rate system in order to gauge and moderate your intensity. And zone two is where all of the... Aerobic, I should have probably covered this at the beginning, but this is where all of the adaptations that I mentioned earlier take place. To ensure that you are running in zone two, you can use a few different metrics. I made a post about this the other day, but gold standard is heart rate, but at the same time, it's not necessary for everybody. You don't necessarily need to just use heart rate. And I, in fact, wouldn't just use heart rate. I would use some other ways to gauge. So if you take your max heart rate, so 220 minus your age, and then multiply that by 0.6, that is your lower end of your zone two, and then multiply it by 0.7, that's the upper range of your zone two. That is the heart rate range that you want to mostly hang out in. At the beginning of your run, you're probably gonna be in that lower range. Towards the end, as you start fatiguing, you're gonna be in that upper range but you may need to slow down and walk to stay underneath that upper range. And that is totally normal, especially when you're just starting out. You Another way you can find your upper limit is the Maffetone method. You can take 180 and subtract your age from it, and that will give you your high end zone two. Generally, I recommend staying five to 10 beats below that. So for me, I'm 34, 180 minus 34, 146. So. I usually shoot to stay around 135 to 140 for most of my zone two training. Unless I'm doing like a really easy kind of recovery style run, then I'll keep it down in the 120s, generally speaking, sometimes even lower than that, like real recovery run, like high end zone one. But that is another method for in regards to heart rate. You can also use non 
tech ways to make sure you're in zone two. The ability to nasal breathe. Now, there are some, definitely some caveats to this. Some people aren't really good at nasal breathing anyway, which is unfortunate because humans are intended to nasal breathe. So if you have some nasal passageway issues, you know, you used to be a fighter or you've gotten in a fight or you have a deviated septum, whatever it may be, any sort of restriction from breathing through your nose mostly, then nasal breathing is not the best thing to use to gauge your zone two. And also I would definitely consider getting that fixed. There are lots of negative outcomes from years and years and years of mouth breathing, not to mention the fact that you're probably going to get made fun of and called a mouth breather, which no one wants. And finally, one of the best ways to ensure you're in zone two is just to use the talk test. And the talk test is, can you say a 12 word sentence without gasping for air, without having to stop mid-sentence and gasp for air? Or when you're done with a sentence, this is the big one too. A lot of people miss this. When you're done with a sentence, you shouldn't have to like really recover your breath. You should, it should just be like right in between breaths. You say a sentence and then you just get back to normal breathing. Now that sentence shouldn't all be like two or three letter, letter words. And also you should probably think of a sentence before you go out. That way you have it memorized and you're not like stumbling through the sentence. So it doesn't have to be exactly 12 words. It's 11. If it's 11 or 13, you're going to be okay. But the talk test is a great way to do it. Yes, it's okay. If you're running by yourself, you can talk. Nobody's going to listen. It's, it's going to be all right. And it's a good way when you're starting out to make sure you're in zone two. After a while, once you do this for a longer period of time, you're probably going to be able to tell. A lot of times I will go out on zone two runs and I won't look at my watch all that much. And when I do, before I look at it, I'll be able to guess within two to five beats what my heart rate is. Most cases, just based on how my body's feeling, what my breath rate is, etc. The thing about using heart rate and the thing about really using any of these things is your zone two pace is not going to be the same every single time you run. There are so many different factors that can influence basically your body's reaction to zone two that are also going to therefore influence your pace. So if you're fatigued going into the run from maybe you did leg day yesterday or you did some other training yesterday that caused a little bit of lingering fatigue or you got a bad night's sleep or you had extra stimulants that day or you're stressed out or you take medication. All these things can affect what your heart rate is in zone two and therefore what your pace will be for that day. So if you ran 930 miles last week to stay in zone two and this week you're running 945 miles and you are losing your mind because you know you should be getting faster, that's not necessarily a sign that you aren't getting better. Fatigue, any sort of fatigue or stress can make it so that your heart rate is going to be different. Your effort is going to be different. You might have to run slower. Some days you're going to feel really awesome on the flip side and be able to run a lot faster than you normally can in zone two. And over time, as a trend, your pace is going to get faster at the same heart rate and the same effort. But just don't expect it to be faster every single time you run. That's just not how it works. And a lot of people get way too wrapped up in what their pace is and why is it not getting faster? Well, it's because there are tons and tons of different factors that can influence it. So that is how you, how to measure zone two. Should have mentioned that earlier, but now that you guys know, and a lot of people think that's too easy. So they say, fuck it, I'm going to go into zone three. A lot of people also compare themselves to others. What is my buddy's pace in zone two? Why is my pace way slower? Well, you're not as fit. 
That is kind of what it comes down to. And you can't expedite your way to being able to run as fast as your buddy in zone two or as fast as a professional runner in zone two. So don't compare yourself to others. If you have a Strava account, don't look at other people's Strava data. Don't look at other people. If you see someone post something once in a while, I post stuff in my story, a hey, nice, easy run, whatever. And people are like, oh my God, how do you run that fast in zone two? And I mean, I've been doing this for years and years and years. I have a pretty good aerobic base. I always have had one. And my pace is not anything that crazy. It's usually in somewhere in the eight minute pace, nine minute, around nine minute mile pace, depending on the day. Again, because there's so many different factors that can affect your pace. Ego is another huge one, kind of comparison to others, but ego, as I mentioned earlier, you might have to walk a little bit when you're first starting out. You might have to walk a lot when you're first starting out. If you're very unfit, if you aren't very active, if you don't have a very high step count, Chances are the first several times you go and do your zone two work, you're going to have to walk to stay in zone two. And most people don't do this. They just keep running and say, fuck it. I'm going to go into zone three. Maybe they end the run in zone four. There's a big difference in recovery between zone two and zone three and zone four. The difference between zone two and zone three in regards to aerobic adaptations isn't very much, but the difference in recovery, one run, not huge, not a big deal. Several runs, your entire base building phase in zone three is going to, you're not going to recover as well. And you're not going to build any extra aerobic ability necessarily. You're just not going to recover as well. And therefore you're not going to be able to do it as much. You're not going to be able to spend as much time. You're going to be more fatigued going into when you first, when you start doing your speed work and you're more rucking when you start prepping for selection or when you start prepping for your, your run event. So really important to just leave your ego out of it. Walk when needed run at the pace that you need to run in order to stay in zone two. In fact, don't even worry about your pace. Just worry about your, the metrics that I told you about earlier to make sure you're still in zone two. Really, this all kind of culminates with everyone just wants to shortcut their way through the base building phase. Everyone wants to get into the fun speed work. Everyone wants to basically snap their fingers and have all these aerobic adaptations just appear and that's just not how it works. Don't look for shortcuts. There is no way to shortcut it. You can't just do zone four for half the time. You can't do zone five for a quarter of the time. It's just not how it works. You've got to actually just be patient. You've got to put the time in. You've got to put the effort in. When I say effort, I don't mean like go and run harder. I mean effort in regards to just doing what is necessary. Having the mental fortitude to stick to the plan and actually stay at that right pace. So generally what happens when you do all these things or when you do one of them or two of them or whatever it may be, it's these common mistakes, a few th different things can happen. One very common injury. You either have a nagging injury that just won't go away. For example, shin splints, or you have more of an acute injury, but it's kind of caused by overdoing it. Like long-term it's caused by overuse. So that's stuff like stress fractures, runner's knee, all types of lower leg issues, hip issues, foot issues, plantar fasciitis, basically all the way from your foot, all the way up to your hip. You can even mess up your lower back doing too much. Um, if you have poor running form, especially, and yeah, it's just not really worth it. If you were trying to build a base and you get injured during that base building phase, then you're gonna have to take time off and then you're gonna have to restart your base building phase at a later date. So even though you want to do more, you, you're gonna want to increase your volume, increase your mileage sooner. You still shouldn't because you want to avoid injury. You wanna go into your actual train up where you start doing speed work and actually 
specific things for your actual event, whether it's selection or running, very fresh and feeling good. So another thing that can happen if you don't get injured, that doesn't mean you're in the clear. You can just be under recovered. If you're doing all your stuff in zone three, like I mentioned, or if you're just adding too much volume too soon, your recovery is going to start lagging. You can't just sleep and eat your way through excessive training. So you definitely want to avoid under recovery because again, you want to be fresh, not just your joints and your soft tissues, but you want to be fresh, your nervous system and your musculoskeletal system. You want to be mentally fresh going into your actual hard training. It can also affect other training. So, you know, if you're going too much, if you're going too hard, if you're doing too many miles, if you're doing, if you're adding too many miles too soon, it can affect your lifting. It can affect your other training that you're doing at the same time. And obviously we want to be able to recover from all the training that we're doing at that time. And, you know, if you are doing way too many miles too soon and you're losing strength in the gym, that's not necessarily what we want. So all these things combined will lead to frustration and frustration usually results in either getting a case of the fuckets and doing more, or it leads to quitting or just thinking that you're a special case and the stuff just doesn't work for you and trying to find another way. There is no other way. So you want to avoid frustration and you want to avoid all of the things that cause the frustration, injury, being under recovered, having a bad attitude about yourself. All these things are pretty common. So we want to avoid them. Overall, very, very boring, very, very underwhelming. And that really underpins why most people don't do it right or they quit or they half-ass it or they look for shortcuts. So now that we know how to do it wrong, now that we know what happens when you do it wrong, now that we know all of the reasons that you should do it and all of the great things that happen in your body when you actually do build your base, let's talk about how to do it. Now, like I said, this is for a general person. This is not for every specific individual situation. So when you listen to how to do it, which I'm going to explain here in a second, definitely consider that you may be a little bit different. Think about it a little bit critically, use some common sense and realize that maybe you need to do something slightly different. Maybe you need to do a little bit more, a little bit less. Maybe you don't handle running very well and you need to extend it out for a longer period of time, etc. So just keep those things in mind as you listen to this, that it's not for, it's not the perfect plan for every single individual in existence. Also keep in mind that it's, like I said, not optimal type A individuals like to expedite this process and skip it. So I'm going to go with kind of the bare minimum that I recommend for building your base before you start getting into speed work. And I'll briefly touch on what I mean by speed work towards the end once your base is built. So you're going to want to give yourself a minimum of six weeks. If you are a solid runner, if you have a history of running, if you're relatively fit aerobically, so you do other non-running activities, or even if you do run a little bit, but you just never really got into running a base, six weeks is probably going to be sufficient. But ideally, if you're not a runner at all, if you have a history of fast twitch muscle fiber sports, if you're very strong, if you do a lot of gym work and you have very little experience with running, you're going to want to do this for a lot longer months, most likely very, very important that you give yourself plenty of time and not try and expedite the process. So I would say six weeks all the way out to three, four months or so before you start doing actual 
real solid speed work. And that'll just depend on a lot of different factors, but mostly just your affinity towards running. So different types of training sessions that occur during a base building phase, easy runs, long runs, and cross training. So an easy run, think of it as your staple runs throughout the week. These are going to be shorter. Generally, they're going to be mid to low zone two. Very, very easy. They should not be strenuous whatsoever. You shouldn't be crossing into zone three. An easy run, I just, there's a lots of different definitions of all these runs, but my simple definition of an easy run is something that is shorter, probably 45 minutes or less. As you get later into your base building phase, maybe 60 minutes or less, or less mid zone two to low zone two. And you're super easy. You're just getting those miles in that time on your feet. Longer runs, generally I like to do a long run on the weekends. Instead of mid to low zone two, you're going mid to high zone two. But at first you probably want to start mid zone two because you're going to get, your heart rate's going to go up very, very quickly if you're not very fit and you're just going to have to walk a lot. So really shooting for that mid zone two number. I told you about the range earlier, having a very easy time breathing through your nose or easily being able to say that 12 word sentence, you can even extend it up to 15. That would be like the mid zone two, but mid to high zone two is where most of your long runs will take place. And really the only difference is these are going to be longer. When you first start out, I'll get into durations here in a second, but when you first start out, your long runs are going to be basically the same amount of time as your easy runs. I'll get into a week structure and kind of show you what easy runs versus long runs might look like. So then you have your cross training, your non-running conditioning, biking, rowing, swimming, really whatever you want to do. There are certain things that translate well to rucking. You can also, ru uh, sorry, running. You can also ruck. I generally recommend when you are building your base to start your selection specific train up, you can do some rucks depending on the person, two to four rucks per month. So either a bi-weekly long ruck or a weekly longer ruck. And by long ruck, I mean 60 to 90 minutes. In most cases, maybe a little longer as you get further into your prep. Rucking, assuming you're walking, these are not ruck runs, by the way. Assuming you're walking with a ruck on, it's going to be less impact. Yes, there is still impact, but it's going to be less impactful than running. So all those are forms of cross training and you definitely should cross train, especially at the beginning to give your joints a rest and allow you to still continue to get all of those zone two benefits and those base building benefits I talked about minus the actual durability and the time on feet when you're spending time off your feet, but also still developing all of the other aerobic adaptations, you're still benefiting from that. And it's giving your body a chance to actually recover your structure, a chance to recover so that you continue going forward. All these runs, like I said, are going to be in zone two. And if you have to walk periodically to stay there, or if you have to walk a lot at the beginning to stay there, do so. Very smart. You also will want to lift, I would say minimum twice a week. If you're super duper strong and you have a lot of running base building to do, you can just put your lifting on maintenance mode, lift full body twice a week. If you still need to build some strength, probably three or four days per week, upper lower split or three days full body, something like that. Generally speaking, don't recommend going any more than four days per week during this time. It's just going to eat into your recovery from your actual goal, which is building your running base and you can absolutely build muscle, not just maintain muscle, but you can build muscle lifting three days per week. You can also build muscle lifting four days per week. Yes, you can still build muscle lifting five days per week, six days per week, but there is a cost to every time you train. And if you are putting too much effort and spending too much recovery 
on your lifting sessions, when your main goal is to get better at running and build a better running base, then you're kind of missing the boat. So the type of terrain you want to do this on, especially when you're first starting out, and especially if you barely run at all, you want to look for something soft, not necessarily a technical trail or anything like that, but some sort of either gravel or next to the side of the road, that little dirt strip that a lot of roads have running on that. You can run on a treadmill, you can run on a track, but ideally you have some sort of undulation in the terrain. So running on the side of the road in slight rolling hill terrain, as you get towards the end of your base building phase, you can start going into more hilly terrain. Running uphill is a great way to improve your overall running ability uphill, of course. But generally to start out the first few weeks, you want to stay off pavement and you want to stay off of concrete and then kind of slowly introduce harder surfaces. You know, you can go maybe 50% of your run on the dirt next to the road and then periodically hop onto the actual road and run on the road and kind of slowly increase that over time. Unless you're running a road race, if you're prepping for a road race, or if you know that your test is going to occur on a road on paved surface, you don't necessarily have to have this main goal of like getting to where you're doing 100% of your base building on a paved surface. If you're, for example, prepping for selection, other than I believe the PT test, which is on a airstrip, most of your running is going to be on a, like a gravel road with hilly terrain. So there are pros and cons to running on different types of surfaces, but when you first start out, you really want to slowly introduce that impact to yourself. And it doesn't, it may not seem like a huge difference running on dirt compared to like concrete or pavement, but it compound that over several runs per week. And however many thousand steps you're taking every single run, it does make a huge difference. So slowly transitioning to paved surface or concrete surface over time, but you want to probably start out on mostly a softer surface, but again, not a crazy technical trail, not a bunch of roots where you could potentially roll your ankle, stuff like that. It's okay to trail run sometimes. Absolutely. You can do like some of your longer weekend runs on trails, but generally not the best thing to just jump into and start out. A lot of people think like technical trails are better than pavement, but you can also get a lot of, because of the way your feet land and the way you have to move on these trails to avoid tripping and rolling your ankle on things and stepping in certain places, you also can develop things like shin splints and foot issues. So it's not just like a always better scenario. So generally I start recommend starting out with two walk runs per week and two cross training sessions per week. If you have a decent cardio base, but not necessarily a running base, you can probably jump into three runs per week because you're You've already built most of the aerobic adaptations that I mentioned earlier. So you're just, your main focus right now is to build your durability, your time on feet, duration on feet, and you can probably jump into three runs. So I would say overall two to three runs per week, starting at 20 to 30 minutes. And again, some of these may have to be walking. And then you can also do one to two cross training sessions per week. And I would also make sure that you're getting eight to 12,000 steps per day. Oh, total. So like on your non-running days, make an effort to get out and walk. Generally speaking, you don't really have to go higher than three runs per week throughout an entire base building phase. You can add another run. You absolutely can towards the later stages of it after a month, after six weeks or so, but you don't necessarily have to. What you really want to focus on is adding duration. You can use a 10% rule where you add 10% mileage to your runs each week, but I don't like programming for most people using mileage, mostly for psychological reasons. And someone knows that they have to 
go a certain amount of miles, it can just mess with them a little bit more than it, it would be saying like, hey, go run for 30 minutes. Usually you don't really care about how many miles you've gone when you go run for 30 minutes. Even a lot of professional runners will go uh, duration based, especially for their longer sessions. I like to program when I'm doing speed work for like my clients and stuff. I like to program using distance a lot, but for longer runs or for tempo runs, I usually use duration and I like that a little bit better. So that all be, being said, the progression rule that I like to follow for adding duration to your runs each week is the five minute rule. So say for example, the first week you do three 30 minute runs. The next week you would do using the five minute rule, you do three 35 minute runs. Or if you want to do your easy runs, and this is generally what I recommend, especially after the first few weeks to a month, I recommend having shorter quote unquote easy runs, which I talked about earlier during the week, and then having a longer run on the weekends. So in that case, for an example, if you're three weeks in or so, you're up to 45 minute runs, you're doing three per week, and you wanna kinda switch over to your long run on the weekends. So you're only gonna increase the duration of that one run, the third run, which, you know, say it's Saturday or Sunday. So your first two runs are gonna stay at 45 minutes. And instead of adding 15, if you're doing the five minute rule, you're adding 15 total minutes to all three runs per week. But if you are just adding it to one run, you're going to add 10 minutes to that run. Just because doing it once, adding 15 minutes to one run once, twice, maybe not a huge deal, but it's not very scalable towards the end. And adding too much duration to a single run at a time, that's when you can start running into issues. So the next week would be two 45 minute runs, one 55 minute run, and so on and so forth. So that's the five minute rule. And then just keep in mind when you're doing it to one run, your long run, the 10 minute rule. The ultimate goal is to get up to where you're running for 200 minutes per week. 180 is, is all right. So, you know, that could be three, that could be four 45 minute runs. That could be two 50 minute runs and one 80 minute run. That could be two 90 minute runs. If you have like a weird schedule and you can only run twice a week, not super ideal. Um, definitely needs to be built up to pretty slowly. 180 to 200 minutes per week is a pretty solid amount of total duration of running before you start getting into speed work. Another thing that I do recommend doing is taking a down week every so often. So if you are really taking this base building work seriously and you're going for several months, every four to six weeks, generally, depending on the person, I would drop the duration back down by 15 to 20 minutes. So say last week you ran 150 minutes and you are five weeks in and you maybe start feeling a little bit of aches and pains creeping in, or maybe you had some runs last week that were just kind of rough. The following week, you would probably run 120 minutes or 115 minutes. And then you'd get back onto the 150 using the five minute rule after that. So 165 minutes the following week. Yes, that is adding a lot of volume over, you know, going back down to 120 and then up to 165 minutes. I'm talking not, not mileage. It's, it seems like it's adding a lot of volume, but you're, it's not like during that down week, you're just not running at all. And you haven't been running before that going up from 120 to 165 when you haven't been up at 150 before would be excessive in most cases, but you absolutely can do that if you take a down week. And I, I do recommend that from time to time. If you feel great and you are, you know what you're doing and you don't feel like you need a down week, you don't have to take one. 
I really like doing this reactively and not just like no matter what. Like if you had your best week of running last week and it's been six weeks and you know you're supposed to take a down week every six weeks because I said it in this episode, that doesn't mean you have to do it. You should definitely continue riding that momentum and continue to improve and add duration. But if you are starting to see things creep up, if you're starting to get some joint pain, if you're starting to feel fatigued, then nothing wrong with taking a down week. And it's something that can definitely help you long-term. Now, progression. How do you know you're progressing? A lot of people think that, like I said, every single time that they go out run and run, they're going to get faster and faster each time, despite not putting in any more effort. And over time, over months, that is true. You're going to get faster. Your zone two pace is going to trend faster, but does not necessarily mean that's going to happen every single run. So very small signs of progression, you know, say for example, last week you did three 45 minute runs and you ran at an 1130 pace and your heart rate was 137. Say next week you do two 45 minute runs, one 55 minute run, your long run, and you run an 1115 pace, 1120 pace. And your heart rate was also 137. Even if it was up at 138, 139, 140 on average, that is still improvement because A, you ran further, B, you ran at a faster pace, and C, your heart rate was basically about the same. So really small improvements like that. And that may even be a more drastic example than what you might see. You might see three weeks where you run at the same pace and you're just adding duration to your runs. So you use the five minute rule for three straight weeks, your pace doesn't increase, your heart rate stays around the same, but you just added 45 minutes total over three weeks to your runs. So you spent 45 extra minutes at that same heart rate, running at that same pace. That is also a massive improvement as well. So don't expect very big drastic improvements. Don't expect confetti to fall out of the sky. It's just not how it works. And again, that can lead to some frustration because people think that they're supposed to make these really drastic improvements and it's just not how it works. So once you have finished building your base, congratulations, you, you built your base. That is when you can start considering some speed work. You can either take a week where you dial the mileage back, kind of like a down week, like I just talked about, and then get into some speed work. Or if you're feeling great, again, just do this reactively. If you're feeling great, you can hop into speed work. At first, you probably don't want to go and run 10 400s at your goal two mile pace. Probably not the best idea for your first speed work workout. Generally, I like to recommend doing speed ups. So basically during these runs, you just speed up to your whatever your goal pace is. So say you're training for selection, you want to be able to run six minute miles for the running gates, which we don't know the distance of, but they're running gates and you know you want to run fast in them. So your goal is to run six minute miles. You can do short duration speed ups during your long runs. Maybe first time you do it, do three to four speed ups to your goal pace. It may not even be all the way. If you're way off your goal pace, if you are nowhere near six minute miles, maybe you do a speed up to 730 pace and you hold it for a minute or two. And you do that a few times throughout your runs. I would do it for one run early on, maybe two runs and so on and so forth. After you do the, after you're done with that, you can generally either add a day where you just do strides. Strides are basically, you go to a soft surface area and you are speeding up to your goal pace for 80 to 150 meters or so. Basically you wanna get up to your goal pace, but you don't want to start feeling that lactic acid production. 
So those are strides. Those can be done as part of like a recovery. They can be, if you want to go from three days per week to four days per week, that fourth day can be strides. And again, this is all after you have spent all this time running slow. Another great thing you can do, and this is what I generally recommend, is doing hills after one of the long runs. So say you did your 200 minutes total of slow work and you are starting to implement some speed work. Your base is pretty solid. Generally speaking, I like to, at the end of one of those runs, once a week at first, maybe twice a week after a couple of weeks, add some hill repeats, 150 to 200 meter hill repeats. You're not going balls to the wall. You want to go at a repeatable pace, maybe like an RPE 7.5 to 8. And the hill should be relatively steep. It doesn't have to be super duper steep. And there's no perfect hill for this. But hill repeats is a great way to get your body used to running faster, but also in a less stressful state because the hill is going to naturally slow you down. It's going to decrease the impact with which your feet hit the ground every time you step. So after a few weeks of doing these little speed ups, hill repeats, and potentially strides, that's when you can start doing your repeats. And that's when you can start doing your fartlek runs, your tempo runs, etc. I'll do a, probably a separate episode on what these kind of look like, but that is kind of when you want to start considering those things because you have built a really good base. You spent a little bit of time running fast throughout your runs or during your strides or uphill, and you are more than ready to start doing your speed work as opposed to just jumping into those things like a lot of people do. So overall, to conclude, base building is not enjoyable, but it definitely is very important if you want to be successful long term. It is a great exercise for selection candidates in particular for accepting delayed gratification. Building your running base is basically one of the best ways to get good at accepting delayed gratification, which anyone who is successful in any area of life, one of their traits is that they are okay with delayed gratification. In fact, they are so used to it that it's a, it's a habit. They are used to just putting in the work with no immediate return. The return is going to be months and months and months from now when you show up to selection, very fit and ready to crush it. So running, building a base is a perfect exercise for that. So hopefully that helps you guys out. Hopefully you guys learned something from that. If you have any questions, shoot them over to me. I didn't cover every single possibility. I didn't cover every single possible individual variance. I kept it wave tops. I didn't get into the science, but at the same time, it should give you a pretty good idea of how to approach building your base, why it's important, what goes on in your body when you do build a base. And yeah, that's all I got for you guys today. Appreciate you listening. Again, would appreciate a review. That would be awesome. Or if you tell a friend about the show and we will be back soon with another episode. I've got a couple Q and A's to get to. So yeah, hope everyone has an awesome day. Till next time, Terminator out. Thank you for listening. If you like this show and want to start crushing your goals, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And for more fitness content, follow me on Instagram at Terminator underscore training or check out my website, TerminatorTraining.com. All right, guys, Terminator out.